I, uh, I had a unique opportunity this week to walk around the Elm Grove Cemetery. Now, before you think I'm a little strange, it was for a purpose, obviously for the sermon this morning, but I walked up and down every aisle. I'd never done that before. Every row of graves that's over there, I, I looked at each one of those. I, I was looking for what do people have on their tombstones? What's written there? And most of, of what's written there, very simple, obviously, the, the, the year or date of birth and the year or date of death. And, and then uh, maybe, maybe there's something there about you know, gone but not forgotten or, or, or uh, a symbol of love if a husband and wife are buried there together and so on. Many folks have uh, their children listed, their grandchildren listed on their tombstones. I, I saw uh, many of, of the folks even in our church who have died since I've been here, funerals that I've been a part of. And hard to believe uh, that it's been a year, two years, whatever it may be, since those folks have passed. And in fact, the, the flowers this morning are in honor of, 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 of Bill Rogers. Uh, hard to believe it's been a year since, since Bill passed and others and Owen Hale and others that, that just recently uh, have passed on. And, and uh, I, I just I looked at those, and, and many of you have been affected by that, and, and your family members have, uh, have been buried there. And, and I noticed uh, some uh, who are not yet there, but their tombstones are there. Um, and some of you have already purchased your plots, and I noticed, and I, I came across a couple of names, and I thought, no, wait a minute, I saw them at church last week. Now, hold on. And so, <laughs> and so I, then I calmed down and realized you're, you're just thinking ahead, and that's okay. And so... Um, but, but, you know, it, it was very sobering uh, to, to walk through those, those rows of graves and, and look at, at, at many, uh, many infants uh, who are buried there, uh, many children uh, who, are, who are buried there, uh, teenagers. Some have died in war, in World War II of Vietnam. Others who lived a long, long life, uh, some in between. But, but everybody had little things on their tombstone that just said something about them, whether it's very simple or or maybe a statement or two. And as I got to thinking, if you had the opportunity to today write out in about ten words or less what you want to be said about you forever in stone on your tombstone, what would it be? Because you get about ten words or less. When you think about that, your life comes down to very to something very simple. A date, a dash, another date, and about ten words. That's all you got. Now, that can be really discouraging for some of you today, but I want you to know that that you have the opportunity between those two dates and with those ten words to make a tremendous impact uh, in your life and for the kingdom of God, what would it be? What would those words be? Ten words or less, if you, if you could describe yourself, here's what I want my life to be. When it's all said and done, this is what I want on my tombstone. This is what I want said at my funeral. Obviously, what is said at funerals sort of is a summary of a person's life. Maybe you've been to funerals before and, and you, you sit and listen to the preacher as he talks about the person's life and he describes different elements. And typically when I do a funeral, I try to make sure that, that I get a few things about that person that, that I can talk about and teach some lessons from and, and really do all we can to both honor that person and learn from their life. Some make it easier than others, obviously, because they maybe know them a little bit better or whatever. But funerals typically are, are a very serious time. Now, I don't know if you've been to a funeral before where something happens that's a little bit out of the ordinary. I remember a time when I was at a funeral. I wasn't preaching the funeral, thankfully, but I was there sitting toward the back and somebody's phone rang. And maybe you've been there and you scrambled to get it you know, turned off. Well, this phone kept ringing and ringing. I discovered it was coming from the front row, the family member. 
And the lady who had passed away was in her 90s, and, and her sister, who was a, a couple of years younger than her, was sitting in the front row, and it was her phone. Ringing. So she grabs it and, and silences the ringer. Then her husband's phone begins to ring a couple of minutes later, because apparently the person wanted to track somebody down. He silences the phone. Then her phone starts to ring again, and she answered it. And I kid you not, in the middle of her sister's funeral, she's talking on the phone, and I would, the most impressive thing to me was the pastor never missed a beat. I thought, I can be like that guy. My goodness. He was incredible. She just kept talking and said, all right, I'll talk to you later, hung up the phone, and he just kept on trucking. He was amazing. Have you seen something like that at a funeral? You know, most of the time, though, it's a very serious moment, very thoughtful, very reflective and as I prepare for funerals and try to, to do that, that's, that's what I shoot for. It's not serious for the sake of serious. Certainly there are moments where you can laugh and enjoy yourself and, and reflect and have memories that make you smile. But, but I try to make sure that it's thoughtful. I try to make sure that there are lessons to be learned and so on. And as we're in this series on great lives from the Scripture, we come to the end of the life of Moses that we've been really just in a very broad sense studying over the last couple of weeks. And I thought this week as I walked around those gravestones and as I thought about the words that I typically say at a funeral, I thought, what if I were preaching the funeral of Moses? What would I say? How would I put that into terms that, that we can both see how he was honored and what can we learn from him? What would be the words at his funeral? What would be the words on his tombstone? So this morning, as we work through the sermon, I'd like for you to imagine, if you can, at least keep it in the back of your mind, imagine if you were at the funeral of Moses. And I want to kind of lead us through, if I'm preaching his funeral, here's what I would say, based on what's written in the Scripture about his life, here's what I would say about him. Now, his obituary is written in Deuteronomy chapter 34. So if you've got your Bible handy, turn there. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible, so won't be hard to find if you go to the beginning and just start turning to the right or look in the table of contents and check that out. Look, Deuteronomy chapter 34 is the very last chapter. So just before the book of Joshua, you have this closing chapter of the life of Moses. Now, I want us to, to look at the entirety of chapter 34, and then we'll begin to summarize it and kind of break down the parts of, of what can we learn if we were at the funeral of Moses, what would be said, what would be on his tombstone, what lessons can we learn. So look with me in chapter 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which faces Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the region, from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zohar. So you see, here's the scene. He's up on top of the mountain. He's looking out. All those are just place names there. The Lord then said to him, verse 4, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. So God is showing him, here's the promised land. Here's what I told Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is the land you're going to receive. An incredible moment for the life of Israel, the nation, and, and for, for Moses himself. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, as the Lord had said. He the Lord buried him, Moses, in the valley in the, in the land of Moab facing Beth Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. I love verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left him. 
The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him as they did as, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land, and for the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Imagine if that was written up in the Murray Ledger and Times. And you read that and you think, what an incredible God. How amazing a life that he certainly lived. And, and so I think we can approach this of what can we learn from someone whose obituary reads like that? What are the lessons we can take? What was it about his life that caused the writer of this particular chapter, maybe Joshua was the writer of this as he takes the reins of Israel, what caused that writer to reflect on such a great life and write this, this sort of obituary? I think if I were to summarize, based upon this chapter, the words that would go on Moses' tombstone, the words that I would sort of highlight and focus on at his funeral, it would be very simple. It would be these words, imperfect, but forgiven and faithful. Imperfect, but forgiven and faithful. This obituary of Moses really is, is more detailed than that, but I think in summary, we see that he, yes, is imperfect, but, but he's also forgiven. He's also a very faithful man. This is what we can learn from him. And I believe leaving here today, I hope we remember this from his life and how it applies to ours. First of all, he's, he's imperfect. Now, I want you to hold your place in the book of Deuteronomy, and if you're so inclined, I'd like you to turn all the way over to the New Testament, actually toward the end of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, at chapter 11, and I want to read to you some of what's written about Moses in this particular book in the New Testament. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is a book about faith and, and different folks who had strong faith and who, who are examples of faith to us, and Moses certainly included in that. Look at verse 23 in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that their child was beautiful and they, did, they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for he uh, persevered and, and as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. And then if you think about what's written back in Deuteronomy, at the end it says in verse 10, No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. It describes what Moses did. If you were to look only at those two passages of Scripture, what's written in Hebrews 11, what's written at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34, you might think that there was something unique about Moses that's not the same as you and You might think that he was some sort of God or superhuman. We have to get a bigger picture of his life because he's not some sort of God and he's not superhuman. In fact, he was just as imperfect as you and I. He served in Pharaoh's court, was the grandson of the Pharaoh, 
an adopted grandson. And there came a point in his life when he was about 40 years old, and he saw some things that disturbed him. Of course, being a Jew, he was was beginning to have more sympathy for the Jewish slaves in Egypt, and one day he saw an Egyptian master beating a Jewish slave. And if you know the story, you know what he did. He steps in, and not only does he stop the beating, but he kills the Egyptian master and buries him in the sand, and eventually he's forced to flee the country. He's imperfect. God didn't tell him to do that. He did it out of his own fleshly desires, his desire for revenge and to take control, and he killed that Egyptian. And he fled, and he ran from God for 40 years. Ever run from God? Moses can identify with that. Ever done something, and you just try to escape it and pretend that it didn't happen? That's Moses. 40 years later, he's walking out in the desert, and he sees a bush that's on fire that's not consumed by the flames, and he says, I better go check that out. And certainly he does, and God speaks to him from the burning bush and sends him on a mission. But before he goes on that mission, he deals with a lack of faith. He deals with imperfection. God, I don't think I can do this. God, send somebody else. God, I can't speak right. Would you, would you please, Lord, just go somewhere else with this burning bush and, and, and find someone else to do this and dealt with a lack of faith? And then around chapter 34, we see that God says, I have let you see it with your own eyes, this land that I promised, but you will not cross into it. Why was it that Moses was not allowed to cross into the land of Canaan, the promised land? It wasn't because he was old and couldn't make it. The Bible says he, his eyes were perfect and his vitality was there. In fact, he climbed a mountain by himself. It wasn't because of that. But it was because of something that happened a few chapters before, back in Numbers chapter 20. And Moses, in his imperfection and in his sin, instead of speaking to a rock, hit it twice to draw water from it. God said, because you have disobeyed me, You'll see the land, but you're not interested. Because I will choose someone else to lead the people into the land of Canaan. Moses was an imperfect figure. He was a hero for sure, but he was just a man, prone to sin and in need of the salvation of God. He was not to be worshipped. In fact, in verse 6 of chapter 34 in Deuteronomy, it says, No one knows where his grave is to this day. Why do you think that is? Obviously, if in Jewish tradition, they knew where the grave of Moses was. What do you think that many people would try to do? They'd try to go make that a shrine, make that a place of worship to Moses. God buries him somewhere and doesn't tell anybody where it is. Moses was a great leader for them. He was, he was certainly a great man, but he was not to be worshipped because he was just a man. Spiritual leaders, obviously, are to be respected and followed. They're, that's biblical. They're not to be worshipped. He was human. He was imperfect. He was a sinner. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there because not only is he imperfect, but he's also forgiven. Because after each episode of sin in the life of Moses, we don't see him uh, facing the wrath of God full on. Certainly, God deals with his sin and God is justified in doing so, but we see God being faithful to him, forgiving him over and over, still leading Moses on the path that God had called him to. He was not forgiven. He would have died long before this because his sin certainly deserved death just like ours. But despite his sin, despite his imperfection, he's still written into the story that God was writing, the story of redemption for the nation of Israel. God didn't toss him aside for being imperfect. Certainly there were still consequences. Not getting to see the land of Canaan is one of the consequences. But God's grace was there. His mercy was there and helped him even through that. God took him to see the land 
showing him what was about to happen, a measure of forgiveness from God. The end of the chapter, in chapter 34, really shows that God in, he really did make the life of Moses fruitful and productive, even in spite of his imperfections and his sin. And I think if Moses could speak to us today, I think he would want us to know that, that the grace and the forgiveness of God can overcome anything in your past. Any sin, any imperfection, anything you've done. Moses killed the Egyptian. Moses lacked faith. Moses ran from God. He was imperfect. But God made him fruitful. God overcame all of that because of His grace. Moses was imperfect, but he was forgiven, and he was also faithful. Moses was faithful. Look in Deuteronomy again, chapter 34. Let's, let's look again at verse 5. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, as the Lord has said. He buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, facing Bethlehem, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left him. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him as the Lord had commanded Moses. No prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Here we see his faithfulness. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, all his officials, and all the land. And for the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The final word on Moses is not his imperfection, but the faithfulness that God brought into his life because he had been forgiven. The life of Moses is described certainly as an imperfect life, one in need of God's forgiveness, but it is described also as a very faithful life. And all he did, for as long as he lived, Moses was as faithful as he could be to the mission that God had called him. For as long as he lived, 120 years, his vitality, his passion for the Lord never left him. He always wanted to see God do something new. Deuteronomy 34 really kind of highlights these different roles and areas in which Moses was faithful. He was faithful, verse 5 says, as the servant of the Lord. And certainly his service to the Lord was learned over a lifetime. And his moment of faith in the Lord, he did not immediately become a perfect servant of God. And certainly at the end, he was not a perfect servant of God, but he grew in that. He became one who cared less about what people thought and more about what God thought. He became a person whose only agenda was God's agenda, the servant of the Lord. He grew in love throughout his life and devotion to the Lord. And as a servant, he obeyed the Lord. God said, do it, and what did Moses do? What God said. Remember the story of the Passover and the Red Sea and how God said, you do these things and I will deliver. You do these things, I'll hold back the water. And we see in Exodus chapter 12, 13, and 14, Moses just does exactly what God says. He's faithful as a servant to the Lord. That's the essence of following God, is just understanding who He is, putting Him in His proper place, and doing what He says to do. He served when it was popular and when it wasn't. People complain quite a bit about Moses and their time in the desert. He served when it was even unusual. When God said, you sprinkle some blood on your doorpost, and I'm going to pass over all those who have that blood, that's a little bit unusual. Death is coming. Imagine the scene. But if you just sprinkle a little blood on your door, everything's going to be fine. Really? Shouldn't I lock the door? 
Shouldn't I kind of bolt things up a little bit? No, just put some blood on the doorpost. Moses is saying. But Moses, even when it's unusual, still serves the Lord. We saw last week when his back was against the wall, he just did what God told him to do. He gave his life in service to this mission that God had for him. And he never, ever quit serving the Lord. Even to the moment of his death, he kept serving the Lord. I read part of a book this week about the life of Moses, written by a pastor who's now in his mid to late 70s. And a guy that I have tremendous respect for and love to hear him preach. And, and he said, talking about the life of Moses, that Moses never took what's maybe known as the retirement attitude. Not retirement, that's not the thing. But the retirement attitude that says, I'm good, don't mess with me, leave me alone. I'm thankful for so many people here in our church who have said, you know what, I may be retired from my work, but I will not take a retirement attitude toward the Lord. I will continue to serve Him all the days of my life. Just as passionately as I can, I'll be faithful to Him until He takes me from this earth. I want to be that kind of person. And I'm thankful for those who are here today who set that example, who look at the life of Moses and say, you know what, I don't care how young or old or somewhere in between I am, as long as I live, I will serve the Lord. Moses was faithful as a servant. He was also faithful as a prophet. It says, no prophet has arisen like Moses. Prophet is the spokesman for God. The prophet in the Old Testament is not really focused mainly on predicting the future, though that's certainly part of it. But their main role was in being the mouthpiece for God, speaking the words of God to the people that needed to hear it. Moses never quit doing that. He was faithful in that. It says that God knew him face to face. He was in close relationship with God, and from the time that God called him at the burning bush, Moses never stopped being a microphone for God. He passed over at the Red Sea before entering Canaan. In fact, the whole book of Deuteronomy is full of three sermons that Moses gives to the people right before he's going to die to prepare them for what they're about to face in the land of Canaan. He never stopped speaking the words of God. He said what God said, nothing more, nothing less, but he spoke with boldness the words of the Lord. He was faithful as a prophet. He was also faithful as a leader. They weep for him. Imagine that leader that you've loved so much, that has led you for so long, and he dies. He, he moves on. He's no longer there. And they weep for him. They lost their leader that day. And we might think that this relationship between the leader and the followers had always been great. Uh, but, but in fact, it wasn't. If you look at who he's been leading this whole time, you, you see that it wasn't always perfect. He was called first to lead slaves out of slavery, which meant that for a long time they had been slaves, being told what to do all the time, had no freedom, and they had no clue what to do and how to act. And that's who he gets. All right, God, thanks a lot. I, I figured we'd get some folks who were, you know, who were pretty sharp and whatever and had some experience and some, some education, whatever it may be, and Moses gets a bunch of slaves. That's who he begins to lead. And those same slaves, as he leads them out of Egypt, were obviously fearful. They get to the Red Sea and they say, what have you done to us? Why did you back us up here? We, we would have rather died in Egypt than drown here in the Red Sea. They were a bunch of complainers and grumblers over and over when they need something to drink. Even though God has sent plagues on Egypt, and even though he's led them through the Red Sea, they say, what are we going to do now? Well, where's something to drink, Moses? You know, I mean, come on. 
And over and over they complain about their food. They want food, so God sends food. And then they get tired of that food, and they want something different. And over and over, you ever dealt with people like that? So we're not here, uh, by any means. Maybe I'm your person. Certainly not your family. They're sitting next to you, don't know Grumblers, complainers, you know? Goodness. That's who he dealt with. He dealt with folks who conspired against him. In fact, in one instance in the book of Numbers, it, it talks about these contemptible people. One version says the rabble. This small group of folks who just didn't want to do anything that Moses said to do, and, and here they, they conspire against him, and he goes to the Lord and says, God, what do you want me to do with these people? He said, they're, they're rising up against me. They're ready to stone me, he says. What do you want me to do? They made him angry. They made him depressed. They were stubborn. They, did, they didn't get it. They lacked faith, and in fact, in Numbers chapter 13, they sided with the majority of the spies who went into the land and said, no, we can't do that. They lacked faith in God to just believe what God had said. And as a result of that, they caused Moses to wander in the desert for 40 years. He realized that Moses was not at fault, and he was one who said, let's go take the land. God has given it to us. Let's go do it. Let's step out in faith, and let's see what God has for us. And the majority of the people there said, no, 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 I don't want any part of that. And Moses, by no fault of his own, was forced to walk in the desert for 40 years. That's who he left. And yet, he was faithful. As their leader, he interceded for them in moments where God said, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to take care of business. And I'm going to start over, God said. And I'm going to destroy this people and we'll raise up another one. And Moses goes before the Lord and says, God, don't do it. If that's what you're going to do, then you take me out too. What an incredible reason. Faithful to them, even though they were hard-headed and stubborn and fearful, and they grumbled and complained against him, and they, they were out to get him. He was faithful to them the whole time. He spoke the truth to them over and over and over again. Never gave up on speaking the truth. He performed miracles on their behalf and for their benefit through God's power. He was very patient, and he endured with them until the end. Faithful as a leader, and he's also faithful as a mentor. Moses knew from the time that he struck the rock twice and God said, you'll not enter the promised land, that he had to prepare for the time when he would no longer be on the scene. He was going to be replaced, and it wasn't lost on him. He fully understood that. He knew he wasn't going to live forever, even if he was able to go into the land of Canaan. He knew one day he would die and pass from the scene. And so he prepared for his departure by asking God in Numbers chapter 27, God, you raise somebody up who's full of your spirit, who will lead these people on the mission that you have for them. He prays and prepares for his departure. And God says, I've chosen Joshua. I've chosen the one, it says in Numbers chapter 11, that had been with Moses from early in his life. Moses was a guy who took a young person under his wing and said, let me train you. Let me help you understand what this is all about. And Joshua certainly was given opportunities by Moses. He was one of the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan. He and Caleb come back with a positive report. Moses sent him out. He spent time with him. He was intentional about helping him develop and follow the Lord. Moses was a mentor to him. And in the end, when Moses climbs that mountain, he had relinquished control of Israel to Joshua. He got out of his way. He said, it's yours. You take it. God is taking me from the scene. You've got it. 
And Moses went peacefully and confidently to the top of that mountain to his death, knowing that he had done all he could to prepare the man who was following him. What an incredible story of mentorship. Moses had been his faithful mentor, and Joshua's turn to take the lead provided a seamless transition. You realize that from the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34 to the beginning of Joshua chapter 1 and following, there's no fight for power. There's no struggle. There's no butting of heads. It's amazing. You think of how many corporations, churches, or whatever, sport teams, whatever it may be, that when, when leadership transition happens, that it's chaos. Nobody knows what to do. And people who haven't had power start to fight for it. And they want their you know, piece of the pie. That doesn't happen in Israel. Moses had been a mentor. He, he had invested himself in the life of Joshua. We learned from Moses that he was imperfect. And he was forgiven. And his imperfections were overcome by the grace of God, and God enabled him not only to receive that forgiveness, but also to be faithful. And so what do we do moving forward? What about us? How can we take the lessons from this particular funeral service, the funeral service of Moses? How do we take what we see in his life and then apply it to ours? It's really pretty simple. It's really not that difficult to see how we can apply this. First, I believe that we must recognize our imperfection. What do you do moving forward? Recognize your imperfection. Just like Moses, the Bible says in the New Testament that we are all sinners in need of God's salvation. That none of us is perfect. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard of absolute holiness. None of us can measure up. And before you walk away discouraged by that, understand that that simply points us to our need of God's grace and His forgiveness. You can beat yourself up over and over and over again. God does not join you in that. I just want you to know that is from Satan, your enemy, who beats you up and puts you in that corner and tells you about all your sins all the time. God offers grace and forgiveness. But if we recognize our imperfection, it will keep us humble. It will keep us broken before the Lord to know that we are dependent upon Him for each and everything that we do. And after you recognize your imperfection, you obviously need to receive God's forgiveness. We sin against God. We require His forgiveness to have our sins removed from us. The forgiveness is only possible through the death of a perfect sacrifice. Sin must be paid for. And the price of sin is death. Our death is not good enough because we're not perfect. So we can't pay for our own sins, so we need someone else to pay for our sins. And that sin sacrifice is Jesus Christ Himself, the only perfect human that's ever lived, who was God in human flesh. At the same time He was man, He was also God. And so He bridges the gap and paid the price for our sins. A price we could not pay. You can spend a lifetime trying to earn God's favor and His love, and you never forget it. We'll that every time. So praise God, He sent through His grace a free gift of salvation, a free sacrifice that must be received, but it can only be received through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not received through trying harder, it's received through faith. So you recognize your imperfection, you receive God's forgiveness, and then finally, as a result of all of that, you just remain faithful as long as you live. 
Remain faithful as a servant of the Lord. Doing what He said in His Word. Being selfless. Having no agenda but His. Be faithful as a spokesperson for the Lord. Constantly. And unashamedly speaking His Word to those in His family. At your workplace, at your school, with your friends, your co-workers, at church, wherever it may be. Be faithful as a leader in your home, at your school, where you work, in this church. Even when people are stubborn and hard-headed, even when they don't get it, even when they don't do what you'd like them to do, even when they stumble and fall, be faithful as a leader to them. Be faithful as a mentor. Pray that God would raise up folks who can replace all of us. Pray that God would give us opportunity to invest in the lives of those who are coming behind us. Because if we're not focused on replacing ourselves, we'll look up one day and there'll be nobody behind us. Spiritually, physically, and so on. As you raise up and pray for God to raise up those people, I hope that as a mentor, just like Moses, that you and I will be people who won't fight over control and power. We will provide our home, our business, our school, our church, whatever it may be, our friends, a seamless transition from us to whoever follows us. I really believe that if you apply these lessons, that if you recognize your imperfection, receive God's forgiveness, and you do all you can through the power of God to remain faithful to Him as long as you live, if you apply those lessons, your tombstone, and the words that you assume, will take care of themselves. You won't have to manufacture it. In fact, you might not even have to come up with it. You won't have to write your own funeral so that it sounds good. It will simply take care of itself. Because you will be a person who is imperfect, yes. A sinner, absolutely. But forgiven, praise God, yes. And faithful through the power of Jesus Christ, yes, you will be. His grace is able to overcome all of our imperfections. It's able to provide forgiveness and able to make us faithful to Him. Words on your tombstone will be taken care of if you live that kind of life. And one day when someone walks around your grave or preaches your funeral, walks around my grave or preaches my funeral, and I have very simply to say this person was imperfect. They knew they were sinners, just like all of us. But they were forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ that they received through faith, and they were faithful for the remainder of their lives. Jesus, we are imperfect. And of course, in fact, we are sinful people with a sinful nature, prone to wander from you. But we praise you for your forgiveness, your free gift through your death and resurrection, your free gift of salvation that is paid for our sins. Lord, I pray this, this morning for those who need to receive that gift through faith. Whose hearts you're working on right now, Lord, I pray that they would respond to you by saying, yes, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I believe you are the Son of God and I want you in charge of my life. I pray, Lord, that they would do just that this morning. Lord, thank you that though we are imperfect, 
You have overcome all of that through your forgiveness, and you enable us to be faithful. So God, make us faithful people. Make us a faithful church, faithful in being servants, and just doing what you say to do. Faithful, Lord, and, and being spokespeople for you. Being bold to say what you have said. Faithful, Lord, as leaders, even when it's hard. Faithful, Lord, as mentors, to constantly look for ways to replace ourselves with people who are godly and full of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. We pray in Jesus' name.